Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Technically, where we speak to entrepreneurs, business people, thought leaders, innovators in the African space. And today I'm joined by Matt Kokalon, who is the founder of Mama Money, which is a remittance service. Matt, how are you? Good. Thanks to yourself, Valentine. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for coming. So I guess well, let's not waste any time and get into it. Remittances or money transfers are very big in Africa, especially uh, in this COVID era where people have been sending money back home uh, in droves uh, because the African diaspora is massive. So before we get into all of that, can you just briefly describe or in, in any length you'd, you'd like um, where Mama Money started from, the origins, the motivations, etc.? So the business started back in 2011. I decided to quit my corporate job and take a sabbatical. And part of my sabbatical was I wanted to hitchhike from Cape Town where I live to and get as far as I could. You know, I was thinking to try and get as far as Egypt if I could, and I had as much time as I needed. And along the way, um, I was in Mozambique on the beach in Tofu, and I met my now business partner, Raphael, who at the time was working for the World Food Program in food insecure camps, was based in Kigali in Rwanda. And he had driven from Rwanda to Cape Town to attend the Africa Burn Festival. He had a big yellow Mercedes German bus that he had converted into a mobile home and he named her Judy. <laughs> and I, I met Judy and Raf on the beach. And what Raf said to me was that I'm driving to Kigali to my house. You know, why not come along? And obviously I said, yes, jumped in the bus and we then traveled uh, Southern and East Africa from, you know, from Mozambique through Malawi into Tanzania. And eventually we arrived uh, a month and a half later in his house in uh, Kigali. And a year later, we met up again in a cafe in Rome in Italy, subsequently being transferred to the, the head office of the World Food Program. And we met and we had a catch up and, and ate some, some nice pasta. And Raf pitched me the idea to say, you know, there's, a really big opportunity to start a money transfer business in South Africa. Uh, he said that the, the it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive market, huge challenge. South Africa has is home to the most migrants on the, on the continent, and it's usually uncompetitive and an inefficient system, and we should look into it. You know, we both of us had no experience in money transfer, let alone finance. You know, my background is more in, in business, in management, in sales and marketing. And like I said, Raphael was a was an aid worker by heart and still is an aid worker by heart today. And he sees a money transfer business as a uh, as an opportunity, like a, a social impact um, project um, that's wrapped up in a money transfer operator, which I can get into more detail about. So, you know, we then met up in Cape Town in, in March 2000 of 2013. We registered our company. And we started going out and speaking to Zimbabweans in and around Cape Town. And we asked them questions around, you know, how do you send money home? Who do you send money to? How much do you pay? What are your challenges? And everyone that we spoke to, or the majority of people that we spoke to said they send money to their moms back home. So we thought, well, 
you know, it's very apt that we name our company then Mama Money to honor all the mamas out there who are the backbone of this beautiful continent and without, who without them, um, who knows where we would be. And we wanted a financial services brand that actually really represented that. Uh, and that's how we came up with the name. And, and that's the origin of, of our business. Interesting. So it was built, it, it started on a beach, um, a one, one, one day drive, and then came to the conclusion of, you know, we need to build a resource for Africans um, to be able to send money to and from, which is a very important thing. And I love the aspect of mothers because um, mothers are the heart of every African household. Um, I guess it's the same everywhere. Um, the mother is the heart. So when you were going around uh, speaking to Africans and uh, Zimbabweans and other Africans in the South African diaspora, uh, what kind of responses were you getting as to the challenges they were facing with sending money to and fro? Well, I think at the time th there were challenges around um, just having access to a formal money transfer operator. You know, the KYC or FICA requirements in South Africa at the time were quite challenging. They, they, they have subsequently been uh, changes to make it more accessible and, and easier. So it was just, you know, accessibility to a formal money transfer service. It was definitely price and, and cost. Um, there were people that were apprehensive about, you know, switching from informal methods of money transfer, which maybe had done for, you know, many, many years um, up until that point. And, you know, how do we trust this new company that doesn't have a branch because, you know, we're an online uh, service with an application and a USSD string. So we don't know this company, um, but how do we trust them because they, you know, with our hard-earned money, you know, we, you know, we work really hard for this money. It needs to arrive uh, on time to the person that we're sending it to because it's not, uh, it's not money that's being sent for, uh, for excesses. It's money that's being sent for a specific utility. It could be education, school fees, et cetera. So those were um, some of the, you know, the initial challenges. Um, and also, I think, choice. You know, customers want choice. They want competition. Competition is good and healthy because it drives down cost and price and makes everyone in that space have to be on their toes and more competitive. And, and I think at the time, uh, there, weren't, there weren't many choices for customers. And today, there are a lot more. Um, but I think still more can be done around competition. Mm. So what is it like for you guys walking in? Because I'm pretty sure you saw the big names, the Makurus, the World Remits, the Western Unions, guys who've been in the game for years. And here you are starting out a service, you know, that started with a humanitarian motivation at heart. Um, how did you approach that, the, comp the competitiveness of those guys? Because those guys are massive corporations. We, you know, I think one of the secrets is that we came at it from a social impact perspective. And so we didn't come at it from a big, like, you know, let's start this business and become really rich and, 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 and we can make a lot of money out of doing this. We really came at it from, you know, if we come into this market and, and, and do the things that we want to do and, and disrupt it and, and come in with a different price and put pressure on the incumbents, then, and, and that means that they get better, they reduce their, their price and more people are able to send money home at a socially fair price. Um, you know, with a convenient service, then that's then that's cool. We were like, if we can do that, and then after a few years we leave and do something else, we've you know we've in a way achieved what we we set out to achieve. 
And I think having that as the primary motivation, you know, helped us to kind of look past, like you say, all these big companies that were the incumbents and that were there. We, we could see past that because we knew that the size of the opportunity and, and if we just stuck to what we wanted to do, we could, you know, we could cause that, that disruption. The other thing that's quite interesting for us is that we actually bootstrapped. So we didn't have a lot of pressure from, you know, at investors uh, at all. It was all of our, our own life savings that we put into it in the beginning, um, which was, which was, I think, a blessing because we really had to sweat the money that we had, but we also didn't have the added pressure of, of returning an investment over a certain period of time to, to an investor. And those were two things that, that definitely worked in our favor, especially in the, in the early days. Interesting. And I've, I've met a lot of African entrepreneurs who say the same thing. We spent our own money. We put our heart and soul into this. Um, it might be a little bit of a, a digression, but do you see that as a fault of the African um, investment environment that uh, startups, small companies, aren't given the room to breathe? Because the ideas are great, but they just need that time to... To, to scale, to grow. Yeah, I think we were fortunate because we were able to, you know, to finance it ourselves. Mm. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are not, you know, that privileged where they can put in their own money and be able to, you know, to, to see out their, their vision and not give it enough kind of room to breathe for it to kind of, you know, to, to start growing into, into what they believe it can become. So we were you know, privileged and fortunate from, from that perspective. You know, there's, there's obviously, there's, there's not just one way to be an entrepreneur, not just one way to, to do it. I think what happens is we get kind of caught up in the whole Silicon Valley VC uh, evaluation, um, you know, um, hype that happens. And I think, it, you know, it's a very different market in, in the developed world. And, you know, maybe that VC model evaluation model works better because you've got competitors that are coming. But in the African context, there's not a lot of great startups, you know, so if you onto something good, it's not necessarily about the speed of execution. It's around, you know, taking the right incremental steps to, to get there. So, you know, and then it depends on your strategy for us personally, the reason we didn't raise money was we had the privilege of being able to bootstrap it ourselves. But what was important for us was that we didn't want to lose focus on the reason why we started the business, which was the customer, the social impact, that if we reduce the cost of remittances, we will impact lives. Uh, if we then add other financial services to that at a lower cost, you know, we could really, um, you know, so it was kind of profit minimalizing, sort of profit maximizing. That was our agenda. And you know, so making sure that we had our, our destiny in our, in, our, in our own hands and then to move to a stage of profitability as quickly as possible so that we could carry on with our agenda, you know, off our own profits. And, you know, the, the other way of going it is that you never become profitable. You just keep raising money and then it's, at some stage, you know, you sell the, the business. But again, we came at it from a long-term perspective rather than we're going to grow it and then we're going to sell it, uh, you know, after a, a period of time. It's actually quite noble um, to, 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 to look at it as we're trying to build something for the long term because I, I see a lot of impatience with startups that they want it to happen all overnight. Um, it's a brilliant sacrifice to say we're sticking to our morals and our code. It's going to lead us to the way we need to go. And, and I, I find that you know uh, quite endearing. 
Um, I guess the one thing I want to know is, is how you guys worked out in terms of business model, how cost of, um, of remittances in comparison to competitors and as well as the challenges faced. How did you guys design the product around those two aspects and the people that you spoke to? We looked at competitors and we also looked at, you know, World Bank stats around what is the global average of remittances? What is the average out of South Africa? which was, you know, the most expensive place in the world to do a hundred or $200 low value remittance out of at the time, you know, super expensive, still, you know, relatively quite expensive today. And then we, we asked ourselves the question, you know, what is this, what do we feel like is a socially fair price? You know, what's going to allow us to go to bed at night with a, a clear conscience that we're really are trying our best for customers, but at the same time that we have a sustainable, sustainable uh, business and this is a, this is really the the social business conundrum because you're living in a world where you know there's either the the NGO the nonprofit um, position which is which is really great and is impactful but you're reliant on on donor funding and then you've got the opposite end of the spectrum which is for profit how do we maximize our profits uh, as much as possible yes you still want to offer a great product to your customers but you might not be doing it at uh, what, what would be a socially fair price because your model is around profit maximization. So we, we kind of slot into the middle. And I must tell you, it was really interesting navigating that because we obviously have banks who are partners and, you know, and, and other partners in the value chain and, you know, you know, trying to get them to kind of think like that. Um, around, you know, the reason why we're doing it and what is our motivation. But yes, if we do achieve this and we can do it at scale, it still has a, a massive financial benefit. And we get the double benefit of really helping customers, really helping people who don't have their lives that easy. And at the same time, you know, having a sustainable business that grows and that does perform uh, relatively well financially as well. Okay. So that, like, I know banks and, Bankers are the hardest people in the world to try and tell that what what you're doing makes sense. Uh, so I'm trying to imagine the conversation you'd have had with, with with guys in suits trying to trying to explain to them, you know, this is what we're trying to do. It it will work. Just you just need to um, be part of it. How are those conversations yeah. like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can tell you a funny story. When we started, I'm I've got dreadlocks, and we you know we went and banged on the door of the South African Reserve Bank and said, you know, we want to start a company that does low cost money transfer and we really want to help. And if you guys give us a license to regulate us, we believe we can make a big difference. So we went, we went through a couple of rounds of correspondence with the reserve bank. And then we, we were invited to go and meet the, the, the licensing team. And I turned and I looked at uh, my business partner and I said, you know, do you think I should cut my hair? I mean, this is a reserve bank. It's, you know, it's bankers, it's people in suits and ties, you know, they're going to, they, if there's a, there's a slim chance that they're going to license us, but if there's a, a guy walking in with dreadlocks talking about uh, money transfer, I mean, what are the chances? And he just turned around to me very casually and said, if they don't like your hair, we'll do something else. And so we, we arrived at the reserve bank and, and, you know, to be honest with you, they were very receptive of, of us and, and they, they heard us out and very interested in what we, we had to do. And it was quite serendipitous because at the time the legislation in South Africa had changed that we could actually apply for our own independent money transfer license, which we were able to do and obtain uh, in early 2015. So yes, those, those kind of conversations with, with people that are, 
not traditional finance people, you know, there were some, some awkward moments, but also I think that it was to our benefit because yeah, we were two guys with that don't come from that world talking about concepts and ways of things that we really challenged the way um, some people in the space thought about things. And because we were a novelty, I think we were, you know, doors were open for us and we could have those conversations. And once people, you know, understood that we weren't crazy, that we had this idea and yes, there was risk involved, but you know, it's a solid sound idea. Um, they bought into it and, and then backed us and uh, we were able to get going. Great. Well, I, I like, um, well, I had to cut my dreadlocks um, earlier this year. Um, unfortunately, my rebellion ended, but I, I miss them very much. <laughs> they are, they are, they were, they were, I don't know what, I don't know how to describe it. It's like um, they become a part of you because they've got a sense of permanence to them and um, it was sad to see them go, but I'm glad to see that, you know, the guys in South Africa are more, you know, I don't look at someone's, who someone wants to express themselves as in, and gauges them by the uh, content of their character and their ideas. That's, that's quite progressive. I won't say too much of Zimbabwe. Uh, I think maybe you can give me more insight as to what your conversations have been like uh, in Zimbabwe with any with the regulator or operators in Zim. So our model is very much partnership-based. And you know we we did we did do a trip to the central bank of Zimbabwe in the beginning to get our incoming money transfer license. Uh, that was a very pleasant conversation. I must say the one thing that I have learned in my time in money transfer is that you know when you go to a central bank and you say you would like to send money out of that country, you get a um, you get a, a very funny and, and challenging <laughs> look. But when you say to someone, hey, we would like to send some money into your country, then you get a very different reception, dreadlocks or not. Um, that's a, a much easier conversation to, to be had, um, you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because we've, we've had this whole issue about externalization of foreign currency. And yeah, it had the approach been we want to take money out, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would have been a, we will get back to you at our earliest convenience. Um so coming coming to the charges themselves, um, I, I I don't have them on hand. I remember we did an article a while back comparing the charges, and we left Mama Money out. Uh, in fact, it was Blessing who reached out and was like, "How can you guys leave out one of the other companies uh, delivering money in Zimbabwe?" So you can just describe the 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 the, the, the charges and the thresholds and and the and the limits that you have for Zimbabwe. I remember that article. I read it, and then I sent a message to Blessing, and I was like, "You've got to get hold of these guys and <laughs> and and let, and let them know." And here we are today, so it's it's cool. So we we started off charging five percent to to Zimbabwe. So there's there's a bit of an evolution which I ran through. So we started with money transfer to Zim. We, we charged five percent. We had a very simple product back in 2015 where you could only EFT bank transfer the money in, in South Africa, and we paid out through a cabs text-to-cash card okay. uh, at the time. I don't even know if that's still a thing it's or not. Thing. <laughs> it's still a thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was really hard work because, number one, we had to get people to do bank transfers in South Africa, which was difficult. And then number two, most people didn't have a text-to-cash card, so we had to really – get the recipient to go to a cabs branch, open the account. You know, it was, it was a process. Right. And what then happened was there was a liquidity crisis in Zim, which I'm sure you're very aware of. And, um, you know, we had, I think, eco cash as a payout at the time. We had uh, an, another wallet with a T telecash. 
And you know, with the with the dollars drying up, obviously it, it was detrimental to business because it just didn't work in money transfer. And at that stage, we then pivoted and started opening up uh, other countries. So we I think we went to Nigeria, then Ghana, then Kenya, then India. Um, today it's over 54 countries in Africa, South Asia, and and Europe. And those other countries taught us a lot because we, some of them there was a flat fee model. Um, so instead of charging a percentage, it was a flat fee. Um, and others, it, it followed the same percentage model of 5%. So we stuck to that on those percentage corridors where, where that really worked. And within uh, just over a year ago, we actually applied for a new category of license, which is a, uh, which is a higher limit category, essentially. And that allowed us to do higher value transactions because a lot of our corridors and customers were asking for the ability to do that. And once we once we opened up into the higher limit categories, we started charging a flat fee because it didn't make five didn't make sense at five percent to scale, you know, to you know a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. You know, it becomes extremely expensive and unfair on the on the on the customer. And so, all in all, if I had to look at you know all of our money transfers across all of those countries, and I said, what is our average fee? It would come into around three percent. But then again, like I said, it depends on 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 the on the value of the transaction. Um, but the majority of the of the transactions going to Zimbabwe are done at the five percent fee. Okay, five percent is is um, seems to be the the the, the green zone because most of the operators are around about there. I think Hello Paisa as well is around five percent. I think the more expensive ones. Um, like the Makuru's, the incumbents are ten percent. I'm I'm guessing when you've been around for that long, you charge what you like. Uh, you've got the, the the luxury of being have been around for, for that long, but I think the business model is obviously different. You guys are looking at a at, at a different issue to them, um, and that that's clearly working for you guys. So in terms of um in terms of incorporating other services into money transfers, uh, stuff like payment of airtime, you know, DSTV and things, because I guess it's just my opinion. I've seen that people will send money to Zimbabwe and then that money will not terminate at the place where it should. Um, you know, you'd want to send money to your mom to make sure that uh, even for her safety, she shouldn't be carrying around a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars, whatever it is. Uh, she wants to pay for certain things. Well, let's do that through this. Are you have you guys delved into that? Before I answer that one, I want to just go back to the the the, the fee, and you spoke a bit about competitors. You know, one of the things that we've learned about the Zimbabwean corridor is that it really is a matter of you know that there is there are challenges on the payout side. And so, you know, the, the more distribution you have, the more liquidity you have, the more you can charge, which is not, which is not really fair in an, you know, in a, an ideal world, but it is the reality. And, and so I think customers, you know, when we ask customers what is the most important thing to them, price is important. Obviously, it, no one wants to pay more. But what's the most important thing is around the is the is the convenience and the, and the reliability of the service. Will my recipient, my loved one, be able to go somewhere really close to where they live and stand in as short a queue as possible and receive the dollars, uh, you know, rounded off to the exact amount uh, without having to go back the next day? All of these things on the recipient journey, the last mile challenge, as we call it in the industry, are important, and. And so yes, so it allows some companies to charge a premium and others not when you you know when you're trying to work all of that 
out. To your question around value-added services, you know, it's something that we've been talking about for many years, and we've always wanted to have an open platform where customers can choose, do I do money transfer? Can I send a cross-border airtime? Is it another value-added service like a grocery voucher? Is it a voucher because I'm building a, I'm building a house back at home? Can I send school fees directly to the school? Um, so there's no misappropriation of funds, you know, all of these things. And, and the, to answer, the short answer to your question is, yes, we would love to do all of those things. The challenge is really around, you know, in a business like ours that is growing with, you know, over 50 corridors is really around prioritization and building things that are replicable in other corridors, not just one, or what is the size of the opportunities that we're constantly doing this prioritization exercise but you know i think that next year we will see some value added services going to zim um specifically around international airtime top-ups um, and other explorations that we're going into it but what we're really focusing on from a product point of view is actually what's happening in south africa which is the launch of our banking service because that is the number one question that we get asked by customers saying we remit money with you we send money home and the next thing that we really need your help with is we are struggling with banking. Can you offer us a banking service? Mm. Interesting. Because banking services, as I've known them in Africa, has been a case of um, the uh, branches are too far and far, too far, too few and far between uh, to be available everywhere. The KYC requirements are ridiculous. Like in Zimbabwe, the example is they ask you to send, to bring two passport photos, which is strange um your payslip you know something that identifies that you live in the country so kyc is the biggest pull away from from zimbabweans to banking that's why zimbabweans went to mobile money the eagle cash the telecash the the one money because you sign one form your id and you're ready to, to transact so how are you guys approaching the the banking services area with with all that kyc stuff in mind i'm sure it's the same in south africa there's, there's, there's a couple of differences in South Africa. Number one is that we have got really good, a really good banking infrastructure and distribution of ATM and, and, and point of sales and, and, and things like that. So it's a accessibility to, um, you know, especially to ATMs and to point of sale devices is, is ubiquitous pretty much. Then the second thing is that, yes, so you're right that, you know, you know, if you think about it from, a uh, someone in the diaspora point of view, going to a high street bank in a foreign country is, you know, it's it's challenging to do it in Zimbabwe, but not, you know, can you imagine not going to another country and trying to do it? And, and the challenge there is kind of almost insurmountable for most people. And, you know, what we've done, Mama Money as a brand, is we've really, you know, Mama Money, we've gone to the people through our agent network. We've made it really seamless and easy for people to, to onboard, to KYC, to become money transfer customers. We're lobbying the Reserve Bank to make the uh, requirements of KYC as easy as possible, specifically in lower limits where the you know, risk of an, an AML and all those things um, are much less risky. So you, you, know, you should have a different set of rules. And you know we're hoping to bring the same thing on the banking side, where we're, we're saying it's a, it's a banking light product and obviously you can upgrade depending on what documents you you um, you're able to submit and your status but um, you know we really want to be able to have an entry-level product for anyone who's from the diaspora that they can you know keep their money safely you know in South Africa that's a huge factor for people mm. um, 
And then number two is that, you know, to gain employment, the employers don't want to pay you with cash. They want to pay you digitally. Mm. So it's a barrier to entry in the workplace too. Mm. And, you know, what I'm really hoping for is that we can solve that problem for, you know, for, for the people in the diaspora, for our customers, um, which will enable them to hopefully have less friction when getting a job to keep their money safe. Um, and most importantly, they can, they can remit their money directly off their, off their wallets, um, uh, you know, as part of the Mo Money app. And also productivity, because they wouldn't have to leave necessarily take time off work to go stand in a queue to pay for their remittances at a at a retailer at the at the, at the busy end of the month. Um, you know, so it has a benefit for, for everyone. And obviously, you know, as we know, we're all fighting cash as the enemy. It's expensive, yeah. it's antiquated. You know, we all want to move um, our customers, and we see ourselves as taking our customers on this journey. You know, so there are like, pure digital players in the space and, you know, in the developed world that works very well. But I think, you know, in our context on this continent, we've really got to be around like education, bridging the, you know, having a hybrid digital offline model and then taking customers on their journey so that they hopefully one day become fully digitized in how they transact with their money because it will be cheaper, safer and, and faster. Speaking of, of, of some of the challenges, um, the uh, online, offline sort of system, I don't know if I remember the name, if the name is, of this is correct, but there's a, a bank or a service called Ozao, Ozkao, I'm not sure. They did this thing called offline payments um, with using a progressive web application that they you know load onto any phone and then you can pay offline. And I found that very novel to be like, that is attacking one of the African needs at the heart. You know, uh, access to internet services is, is one of those things that we harp on about in Zimbabwe. And I'm sure in South Africa, even though infrastructure is probably better, um, there are some areas where, you know, you would want that option of on- offline payments. I just want your opinion around that that sort of thing. And maybe would it be integrating into Mama Money's banking service or that's some way of simple future? We use Ozo as a, as a payment option on our app for our customers today. So, you, you know, you're quite right because when we... When we initially launched in South Africa, I mentioned at the beginning that we were purely, uh, you know, bank transfer was the only way to make payments. And I would then go out and I would see customers that go into their homes and you know, try and teach them how to do an, uh, uh, this, this transaction. And, you know, there were various banks and, you know, you know, I was sitting there trying to figure this out and it wasn't intuitive at all. You know, it wasn't like, oh, this is easy to, to do. Um, and I'm someone who was well-versed in how to do these kind of transactions. But as soon as I went to a different bank, um, you know, it took me a while to figure it all out. So I'm like, well, how are customers going to really figure this out? There's, there's, it's not intuitive. And, you know, Ozo really solves that challenge because they take a lot of that um, out by, by doing the work for you. So, you know, you have a simpler interface where you can log into um, do the transaction, um, and then it happens uh, seamlessly. It's you know it's, it's an instant settlement, um, and they've had a lot of success and a lot of growth uh, in South Africa, and, and you know you can you can see why. So I'm I'm a big fan of these kinds of solutions. Um, I think with Ozo, there there you know there are questions around security because you know there it's a it's another layer on your on your on your bank account. Um, so you know there are people that you know that don't like it from a security point of view. Um, and I obviously, you know, it has to be safe and it has to be secure, but yes, it definitely does make 
life easier for, for users and it, and it makes things seamless and it allows them to bridge that gap into making a digital payment a lot easier. And the banks aren't necessarily, um, you know, being as helpful as they could around that themselves. So they're, they're kind of resistant to change, which is, I guess, maybe if I don't overstep that, I've seen that across uh, Southern Africa, uh, a reluctance to accept that innovation is constant and, and it's, it's rapid. Um, the more you try to pull it back, the farther it pulls away. So it, it feels, I don't know about you, but it feels like to me, they should just jump on the train because you might as well. It doesn't make sense to, to hold out when, when there's no real need to. Yeah. And I think that, I think just spending the time in investing the time in, you know, the customer space that we, where we do, you know, and I think the banks, they underestimate customers. You know, I think there's a, this kind of like belief that the lower end of the, of the, of the, of the economic pyramid, that they are not tech savvy, that they don't know how it works and that they never will. And they need to go stand in a bank queue um, and, you know, I found exactly the opposite. You know, I found customers and people that really want to use the technology. They, you know, they're, they're, they're using all the apps that are out there. And, you know, we need to find ways that we can, you know, um, like I said, educate customers and bring them along on that, on that journey and not underestimate them. Sure, there's obviously your older generations, you know, there's obviously more resistance to change there. But even, you know, even in the older generations, I mean, people are on WhatsApp, they're on Facebook, they're maybe on Instagram, maybe they've got a few other social network apps that are there and they're engaging with it. It's up to us as the, uh, the creators of these technologies to make sure that we're creating it in the best possible way, depending on our, our customer segment. That's great. Well, circling back to Zimbabwe, since uh, I have to be a little bit selfish. Uh, since we're Zimbabwean publication and then um, so I, like for Mama Money in Zimbabwe, um, what are the plans for the short term, mid term and, and long term future in terms of outlets, in terms of uh, you said you're going to get uh, value added services next year. But for the banking things, are we going to see something of that nature or maybe I should ask what do you have planned for Zimbabwe in, in the next, let's say, four or five years? As I mentioned, we started with Zimbabwe. So, you know, as a as a company and organization, we are, you know, very much, um, you know, Zimbabwe-centric and focused. A lot of the people that work in our organization are uh, originally from Zimbabwe. You know, obviously, we're, you know, we're an African company and we've got a global, uh, you know, we're sending money to Asia as well as, as, well as to Europe. Um, but very much for us, the beginnings and the origins start with Zimbabwe. And, you know, we made that hard decision a few years ago where there was a liquidity crisis and we just felt like we couldn't compete. It was a different stage in our business life cycle. We really had to grow and get traction and we had to go and look elsewhere. And, you know, so we made the decision to kind of put Zimbabwe on hold and circle back at the stage when we were ready. And so we started that circle back um, process at the start of this year, uh, we had a we have a um, a partnership with Western Union, who you know who are a traditional competitor of ours, but because of the nature of our business uh, out of South Africa, they decided that the best thing to do would be to actually partner with us to you know to be part of the the, the transaction journey, and they they take care of the payout side. They've got lots of payout institutions. So throughout this year, we've really been refocusing on Zim. We've had really great steady growth throughout the throughout the year, and it's been 
been really great to see. It's been rewarding to see that. And, you know, you're probably starting to see us ramping up a little bit more around our marketing initiatives. There's billboards, radio ads, um, that kind of thing. We're, we're trying to get more visibility because we know in the Zim market, which is quite unique to money transfers, that the recipient has a really big role to play in how the money is, is sent. But you don't find that in other uh, remittance markets where the sender just decides and the recipient has to go. You know, in Zim, you've got, you know, you've got quite a lot of sway coming from the recipient. So we understand now today that you've got to be marketing on both sides. You can't just be looking at the sender, you've got to be looking at the recipient too. So that's starting to ramp up. We've got some brand ambassadors in Zim and and you know and, and and that'll just that'll continue. Now our goal and ambition is really to to unseat the incumbent, which is Makuru, um, and to be able to offer Zimbabweans a, a service that we feel would be better. That won't happen overnight, but we, we we're putting a lot of our energy and a lot of our might into making that into making that happen. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. I'm also curious to know, would you be interested in working with any local startups? Uh, because Zimbabwe's got quite the vibrant uh, fintech startup scene. Um, you know, some guys that will bring value to, to the products uh, that, that you're trying to offer, or the range of products you're trying to offer. Yeah, so, you know, we're a, a partnership-based model of a company. That's how we've got success. So, you know, we're, we're always looking for and keen to to find partners who can you can add value. We're not particularly interested in so much so in, in at this stage in, in really like setting up our own operations in the receiving countries. We prefer to focus on our end, which is you know, finding the customer, getting the, the customer on board and making sure they have a great experience. And on the receiving side, we are looking for partners who can help us facilitate that. Um, that has been our model to, to this point. And like I said, we have a partnership with Western Union. We have a partnership with Stuart Bank. We have partnerships with, with other banks. But if there are other you know, fintech startups that can help solve some of these challenges that we have, obviously be very happy to, to chat to them. So I'm, I'm guessing my, my, my next kind of curiosity would be around domestic remittances, sending money from city to city in Zimbabwe, which has been a boom this year. Uh, uh, the, big, the biggest one I can think of is uh, Bank ABC's City Hopper. I was able to send 10 million within a year, which is to some people not a big figure, but for Zimbabweans, 10 million sent through one service is, is pretty impressive. So can we see Mama Money probably going into, into that? Or like you said, you're not ready to put a presence, a physical presence in Zimbabwe just yet. Domestic remittances, you know, is a is, is obviously very big, and that's you know that's kind of how mobile money started. And and you know we are massive fans of mobile money. And when we started Mama Money, our actual use case was let's send money to a mobile wallet because it's so much better than um, you know what we had before that, which is cash collection. It's everyone's got a phone; you don't have to go. Um, you know, you don't have to jump on a bus. You can collect the money and you can cash out or you can transact with mobile money. So, um, you know, very interested in the domestic money transfer space and know how important it is. Um, at this stage, it's not maybe not something that we're specifically looking at, um, but we know it's an opportunity. And for us right now, it's more about how do we create a seamless digital experience from the, from the sender side, and then obviously allow the recipient to receive their money in Zim um, in as many locations as possible. 
But um, our ambition is to be a global or a, a continental brand, um, you know, around financial services. So eventually, that does mean that we will not just be, you know, in the South African geography from a sender point of view, that we will look at inter-Africa flows. You know, we know that there's Zimbabweans in Botswana who send money to Zim, Mozambique. There's a lot of people in the Congo who send money into that region. Um, there's a big need for banking or domestic remittances, as you said, as well as as well as you know insurance. Mm. And that and that is the ambition of my money is to is to you know the bread and butter today is remittances, but we 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 want to become a house a household name for financial inclusion, you know, low cost, convenient, using technology to bring people into the into the formal financial space. I think I'll push one of my more. Um, this is I'm a propagandist when it comes to this. It's it's, it's credit. Credit facilities in Zimbabwe are in a shocking state of disrepair. To um, you walk into a bank uh, as an individual to get to get a loan um, and a loan in, in U.S. dollars, uh, hard currency, which is which holds value greater than, than the local currency, is is nine is nine possible. Uh, many people I've spoken to have said the same thing. Um, and the one thing I've been hoping for as a remittance company or the remittance space to be a potential avenue for, for, for credit um, when it comes to financial services. Um, it, it's, it's a long-held dream of mine that, you know, uh, a millennial can, because most millennials like myself are still live with our parents because affording a house in Zimbabwe, is, 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 the prices are quarter of a million, half a million. No one's got that kind of money lying around. Um, so credit is one of those things that I'm super interested to see who can solve that problem. I don't know what have you seen from, from your interactions with the Zimbabwean market about the, the situation of credit. It's you know we obviously know that it's a it's a challenge and I think people are relying you know on their on their net network and relatives in the diaspora whether they're in South Africa the UK Dubai you know wherever they might be the US I think uh, I think that's where the credit is 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 essentially coming from you know these days is that it's not you know there's there's remittances. But there's also money that is sent to finance the the start of a new business, a new venture, a farming venture, or you know whatever it, it it might be. And obviously that's not a really efficient way to do it. Yes, it's one way, but you want you know you really want to be able to have a, a financial environment where, like you say, millennials, young people who don't have access to capital. Um, you know we all know the story of of the Zimbabwean economy. Um, but we also all know that there's massive amounts of opportunity um, to be had. And if you could get people access to capital, that could really be a game changer. And we, and we know we've seen um, this in the, on the continent, I think specifically in, in East Africa, but also in, in, in West, you've seen these uh, companies like a Jumo, which is based in, 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 in South Africa, that are now looking at how they can create credit facilities off the back of mobile wallets and 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 customers' interactions with with, the, with those wallets and how much money they they transact with, um, and then allow them access to credit. So I think that that wave of innovation is coming, um, and 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 I think it's going to be huge. It's going to be really big because obviously, like we know that if people have access to it, they they can change their so I think that that's coming. If it's going to be a remittance company that cracks it first, I don't know. 
Um, will it be a remittance company that buys one of these companies? Mm-hmm. Maybe um, around consolidation, perhaps if, we, if there's an opportunity out there that, that makes sense and it's a, it's a time because from a remittance point of view, what you're really trying to do is create more value in that, in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever you can plug into it that's going to create value and stickiness to customers and add value to their lives, you know, becomes interesting. Uh, so yeah, I think credits is something that will be solved by by I d- look. So my take, I don't think it's going to be solved by a traditional financial institution. Mm. I don't think a bank is going to solve it, but I think a fintech mm. will come along and and crack it. Yeah, good deal, Matt. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, this is a great conversation. Uh, great to hear from Mama Money after we we so rudely omitted you from our charges sheet uh, in September. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having us uh, on and and for adding us back into that that article. Um, I know it's difficult to keep up with all the new remittance players in the industry, and it's quite exciting to see that it's it's becoming more and more vibrant. And I think it's only a good thing at the end of the day for the you know, people of Zimbabwe and you know general um, diaspora who live in South Africa, um, because it means that we're going to get. Yeah, more competition, and we all have to get better and sharpen up at what we do. Yeah, most most assuredly, yeah. Uh, and we wish you all the very best uh, in the in the expansion uh, and the work that you do, the work that you're doing. Uh, we, I'm I'm impressed at the very least. I don't know the viewers will, the listeners will then um, uh, make up their own minds, but I'm 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 solidly impressed. Thanks, Valentine. Yeah, nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you too. And to the listeners, thank you very much for joining us, uh, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye.